Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. This podcast has been brought to you by the gut supplement Simprove. Hey everybody, what's your gut feeling? Do you feel sparkly and sassy and raring to go? Or do you feel like a weak old balloon sagging in the corner? If the bounce has been bashed out of you, it might be time to think about your gut. More and more, doctors and scientists everywhere are having that conversation, and increasingly, they are finding that it affects everything. Your gut microbiome is a vast ecosystem with bacteria as diverse as the Amazon rainforest. These bacteria break down food and help your body to detoxify, support the immune system, and can affect energy levels as well as mental health. But along with all the virtuous and hard-working bacteria, who are upstanding members of the gut community, lurk the gangsters. Yeasts, fungi and viruses. So if you're not feeling so hot, those hoodlums could be running all sorts of crime rings inside you. The good news is that research has now shown that composition of the gut microbiome can change if you give it a bit of love. Which is why we are delighted that this podcast is brought to you by the gut supplement Simprove. I swear by Simprove. It just makes me feel bouncier, more optimistic, less flat. Skin, digestion, it's all happening. Simprove is a water-based supplement that comes in three flavours. You knock back a cheeky shot every morning and all those live and active bacteria storm heroically from mouth to gut and start to multiply and produce food to nourish the good bugs, the ones that cheer us up and perk us up. Everybody who knows about this stuff knows that Simprove is the best of its kind. And we have an offer for you, a 50% discount off the first three months of the flexible subscription for UK customers. We did the maths and that means £24.99 a month for the first three months and then £49.99 from the fourth month onwards. The subscription can be cancelled at any time. Go to simprove.com forward slash the middelt and the code is capital letters middelt50. Simprove for all your gut feelings. Hello everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine but I was late because I had been to the osteopath because of my slip disc and referred pain down my leg decrepit, said the 350-year-old woman. So I got an Uber, and as I was getting out, I told the Uber driver I loved him. <laughs> yes, I did. Bye, love you. Oh, God. So if anyone needs me, I shall be quietly walking into the sea. Okay, you have to record the podcast first, and then that will send you off. Then off I go. Yeah, exactly. Well, hi, I'm Emily. I'm absolutely fine. But Annabelle is sitting in my house, which is always a rather dangerous moment because she looks around, and I can see her examining my uh, my ceiling or my picture rails and I can see what she can see well I did just say I mean you you make me you make me sound exactly like the monster that I am I did just look around and say I would I would like to go and get my wet wipes well then I doubled down you see which is now my method with you because I said yeah look how bad it is and pointed out a picture that is actually hairy it, is. <laughs> it looks like it's got a higher IQ than, than than I have I mean it's it's growing things but also I don't care that's what's so brilliant. It's an interesting development because I think I could care and I'd like to care, maybe, but I just don't have the space for it. Well, to today's podcast, success for you is not necessarily a sparklingly clean antiseptic house. No, exactly. And I don't need it as the sort of manifestation of how sparkly clean my brain is. validated by surfaces. <laughs> no, exactly. It's got to be a good or thing. Or wet wipes. Anyway, this is it. We're here to talk about success. It's really exciting. Because do you feel a bit off about work? Yes. A bit off about yourself? Always. As in, you know, on paper you seem successful enough, but you don't feel successful? 
And what is successful enough? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've got a constant case of the shoulds and the four horsemen of the kind of modern workopolypse are always gunning for us. That is imposter syndrome or this could have been a meeting. Am I paid enough? And where's your side hustle? The pressure, the pressure. Are you chasing goals? But when you get there, you don't feel any better? Well, if this is you, and I mean, it's definitely us, and we think it's a lot of everybody out there, then we have the guest for you. Writer Emma Gannon became the poster girl for hustle culture when she released her best-selling business book, The Multi-Hyphen Method. But things were not all they seemed. In fact, she was heading for burnout. Miserable, exhausted, isolated, So she took all the wisdom she learned from interviewing successful people on her podcast, Control Alt Delete. Spoiler, successful people often do not feel successful either. And she has written a brilliant book, and I can't recommend it enough, called The Success Myth, about letting go of having it all and finding ways to make work work for you. So Emma, how are you? I'm absolutely fine, but I have the remnants of a long period of burnout so that's sort of manifesting in different ways but mainly kind of brain fog a bit slow these days sort of getting back on my feet but kind of enjoying it as well well I suppose it would be the letting go of the hypervigilance that companions us through you know our days so often how did you know or allow yourself to know that you were burnt out I think I had quite a few red flags leading up to it I think we're very good at ignoring our bodily symptoms and You know, you hear these stories of people just one day not really being able to do much. And I do think it creeps up. But until you're forced to do nothing, a lot of us sort of overachievers or perfectionists can have to wait until it takes us down. So for me, it was really not a choice. I wasn't like, oh, I'll take three months off work to go and find myself. I think people are very clever and smart if they do that. Mine was more of a I can't really do anything. And just really not able to function in the same way. It was actually really, really terrifying. Yeah. Um, even looking at a screen, I couldn't even really look at things properly. It was really sort of a full body shutdown. What had you been putting yourself through in order to get to that place? Well, interestingly, even though the multi-hyphen method was about having multiple income streams and there was a sort of hustle vibe to that book, a lot of 20-somethings enjoyed it because we had a fire in our belly and we wanted to go make things. And I've kind of still got that, but it's changed form. It's not so much putting pressure on yourself, but learning to kind of let go and let life kind of lead you. There's sort of a spirituality to the success myth. It's about, you know, really tapping into what you already know. It's not about adding things on constantly. It's actually about taking things away. So yeah, I think to be honest, I'm I'm really not looking back with much shame or guilt. I'm looking back at a 20 something who desperately wanted to fit in, desperately wanted to be successful. And now I'm in my thirties, I'm thinking, okay, you got those badges of honor, what does life look like now? And it looks very different. I mean, you're interested in your book about the performative nature of success. Um, and you quote someone who called it success theatre. And it's a bit like, you know, the, the busy myth, isn't it? That we a few years ago just felt that we, if someone said, how are you? We had to say very, very busy, so busy. We couldn't not. Yeah. Um, so there's a showing off aspect to it, isn't it? That we feel that we have to buy into. Well, that's it. And I actually wrote about, when I wrote about burnout, which was kind of one of my most successful posts, so I feel like a lot of people are going through this at the moment. It was the performative side of me that sort of burnt out. I, I feel like I've genuinely shed that side of myself. Because when you go through burnout, it's very similar to grief. Mm. You're basically letting go of a side of you that is dying, essentially, because it, it is no longer necessary. So I was shedding my old sort of insecure self. And I would say that's growing older, isn't it? You're shedding Mm. parts of yourself that hold you back. So 
I no longer perform as much as I used to. I think I performed a lot. I also think I used to work in marketing. I used to work in PR. I actually think I'm really good (laughs) at those things. And I almost turned myself into the product that was being marketed. Mm. And I was very, very good at showing success. Like I, I, I could still do it now if I wanted to. I could post a picture that I know people go, ooh, she looks like she's doing well. <laughs> Whereas now it's just so out of sort of keeping with my values that I'm mm. just like, no, I need to be more authentic than that. Mm. There's I- something dangerous, isn't there, about the sort of commercialization of self. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're sort of Kylie Jenner. It can just be you sitting in your world, turning, as you said, yourself into your own poster girl for yourself. Yeah, I mean, even people I'm I'm sure, you know, I'm not, I've not had kids, but I know a lot of my friends who have say this, they're, they're posting one thing about their beautiful newborn baby and feeling a different thing. We do it all the time. Um, I think one of the many great things in your book were uh, sort of the anecdotes about, like, for example, the Forbes 30 under 30, and uh, you you were a Forbes 30 under 30, and that is, you know, hailed in the 20-something kind of, you know, sort of lexicon as being like a real moment. And you're kind of refreshing, you're so excited, and you are, and then you go to the drinks and you realise that it's just like a like a weird hotel um, with lots of people standing around drinking kind of, you know, possibly warm white wine, I made that up, but and just going, I don't really know now that I'm here. And this idea that you arrive... And you're really good on this, obviously, but you arrive, but you never arrive. But also, you're chasing something forever. Everyone in that room looked miserable. Yes, exactly. And everyone's standing around going, God, I thought that when we got here to this bit, then we would feel better. Hmm." Yes. Yeah, it's the arrival pretend connection. Yeah. And if you don't have that connection, but it's, uh, but also, you know, everybody looking at a picture of you. You know, if you posted a picture and said, here I am at the Forbes, it'd be like, oh, Emma's doing so well, brilliant, you know, fantastic. But obviously, in, you know, like you said, it doesn't match up with what, what we feel inside because to get there is takes a huge amount of energy. And then, you know, and it doesn't immediately satisfy like, um, like, why should it? Well, to get where? I mean, yes. Emma, can you talk to us a bit about this idea of arrival fallacy, another myth that we're sold? Yes, I mean, there's a bit in the book that I guess is quite morbid. People have picked it out to say, oh, did you have to include that? But it's, you know, it's quite good in a way where um, there's a painting that I've actually got in my office where it steps going up and then it's up and up and up, keep climbing, keep climbing. And then at the very end, there's a drop and it says death. So essentially, it's like (laughs) we all know where we're going. There is no other way. So how are we going to get there? And are we genuinely going to enjoy the journey? It's the biggest cliche ever, but mm. what do you want to kind of have every day in your life, not at the end? Because what is the end? So, yeah, I talk about that. And also, you know, I I really don't want people to think this book is just me, kind of woe is me at my, my Forbes party or anything like that. Because <laughs> oh my God, no. It's, Ouch, it's, my it's, tiny no, no. shoes are hurting. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like tiny violin <laughs> for you. But I think it's really important because if I was in my 20s, I would love someone to tell me this. I probably would ignore them and still want to be on the Forbes list. But I, st- I still think the conversation is important because we're in a world of Instagram and Chanel handbags and you're not enough and you know, materialism has gone haywire. And so I think, yeah, talking about what really truly makes us happy, it's like the oldest thing that people have been writing about this for hundreds of years, but I feel like we need need it more than ever at the moment. It's interesting because you're talking about, you know, people in their 20s and there's something you touch on in your book that, that I feel quite strongly about, which is this, these sticks that are used to beat us or we, we use them to beat ourselves, which are passion and purpose. 
And I think if you if you say to a person, any person, but maybe particularly an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old who's trying to start out, find something you're passionate about. I mean, isn't that enough to completely paralyze and completely panic a person, whether they're 20 or whether they're 50? And yet those have become proper buzzwords, haven't they? Passion and purpose. And what do they even mean? I know. I think that is terrifying. Telling someone that you have to have an all-encompassing grand purpose and passion in life, no one has that. We don't even know why we're here on this random piece of earth. You know, it's just all made up. And and I actually think it's a bit of a lie that, that even people who say they've got a big passion, passions can burn out and we can lose our passion very easily. You know, you don't get them for life. I think you have to really cultivate something you like. But also, I've always gone by the school of thought that Elizabeth Gilbert always talks about in Big Magic, which is curiosity is so much more powerful than passion. If you're curious about something, it can be tiny. It can be like, oh, I'm curious about gardening. I'm curious about butterflies. I'm curious about the colour yellow, like whatever. Then that can lead you somewhere. And I guess the other thing with passion and purpose is creativity and ideas I believe they run away from us when we put too much pressure on them. Mm. So if you put too much pressure on yourself to have the award-winning novel or the passion or the whatever, you're, you're less likely to have it. So the more pressure you can take off you, ironically, you might end up with a brilliant passion. The other thing as well is that, and we're certainly finding it, I mean, I'm 48 now, is that the passions that you had maybe when you were 18, 19, 20 are literally, you know, not the passions that I have now. Okay, so maybe I still like to dance, but I mean, not in a meaningful way. Yes, but but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that you were ever passionate about no, dancing. Exactly. No, you just got I mean. drunk. And... No, but if you'd ask me if at 18 what I like to do, I'd be like, I like to go out and dance. Oh, like, okay. do you see what I mean? But so, but the, the point is, is that things don't serve you exactly like you said for your whole life. They burn out. They whatever and so to force people down a kind of you know a very constrictive route will just end up making them feel even worse in the long run right it's a difficult thing and and do you know now having kind of you know ticked a huge amount off your sort of tick list that you wanted to do in your 20s are you now like throwing away your bucket list and thinking actually I'm going to take each day as it comes or do you still find yourself seduced by the uh well, maybe I could achieve this. Or are you feeling very zen now? Well, seduced is such a great word, isn't it? Because <laughs> I think that is what success is. It's so seductive. It's you're tempted and it's, you know, it's it's marketing, it's advertising, it's walking past the billboard and thinking those shoes will make me into a different person. You kind of want to be the 2.0 version of yourself. And, and, you know, a little bit of that is probably a good thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't get anything done. And there's loads of things I want to achieve in my life still. But I think I've learned how to separate out sort of the the scammy nature of looking good versus feeling good because they're so different. I looked like I was having the most amazing time in 2018, but my life really was quite empty that year and it's just not enough. I mean, for some people, maybe it is. Maybe it is enough to live in some amazing house and sort of all you do is work and you know, maybe that is someone's path. And that's what I talk about in the book, really, is it's so individual. And I'm just really talking about my individual journey. But um, yeah, I'm very aware now of kind of what other people want me to do. I mean, we live in a society where we are sort of lining other people's pockets more than our own. We're pleasing other people more than our... We're pleasing our parents sometimes more than we're pleasing ourselves. You know, the list goes on. So I think I'm very aware now of kind of what do I want 
And I don't think that's a dirty thing to say, a dirty word. I think for so long, it's like, oh, that's a bit selfish to put yourself first. But if I can sort of prioritise my needs, I show up much better for other people in my life Mm. too. That's very female, isn't it? To think that you shouldn't really say what you want. Or what you need. Or what you need. And what's interesting is what you want. If you ask yourself literally, what do I want? So you start there. You don't achieve and then work backwards. You just say, what do I want? Sometimes it's very simple. Like today, what I really want is to go for a walk and get a coffee and clear my head, earn some money to pay my bills, see my friends. I think most of us, we don't want as much as society tells us we want. No, and also you're allowed to respond to your own micro wants, aren't you? Because a walk in the sunshine, a coffee, you have an idea, you bump into someone. If you have to sit at home and say, and try and work out what you want out of your life and out of your career. What's your passion? What's your purpose? And what will truly fulfil you? You're much more likely to stare at a wall and feel cold and alone today rather than go into the sunshine. Do you know that's so interesting as well? Because if you were to ask someone, you know, what do they want? It feels like such a kind of aggressive question, isn't it? It's like, what do you want? It's like, well, I, 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 I guess I want to win a Nobel Prize for, uh, for, for peace. And also, I mean, obviously, you know what I mean? Like, you feel like you have to have a huge goal. But if... She's really laughing at me I'm, now. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm only laughing because since Emma said, you know, think about what you want, all I've been thinking is I really want a piece of toast. Just toast. <laughs> I'd like some toast. I feel really hungry. Well, ever since we've been talking about it, all I want is a Nobel Prize. What the fuck am I going to get it for? I do not know yet. <laughs> But no, but exactly, you know, and if someone, if, if you are asked that question, it feels like such a, I don't know, I mean, I think... An act of uh, aggression is what it feels like. Exactly. And then if you don't respond, if you respond saying, and I think this is a definitely, again, another woman thing, that you feel like you have to compete still in a kind of patriarchal marketplace, but you have to say, what I want is world domination. What I want is global domination, rather than I just want to get this project over the line. I want to have a piece of toast. I want to go for a walk. And that I feel like this idea of having to kind of have this massive kind of end goal at every stage is quite a male thing. What do you want out of life? It's a terrible question. It's like when someone says, so tell me about you. (laughs) And if someone says to me, so tell me about you, I now say no. (laughs) Such a random question. Just, no, that's not conversation. First of all, I can't. And secondly, I refuse to even try. I tell you who I enjoyed in your book was Allegra. Yes. Tell us about Allegra. I love that she's called Allegra. I uh, have no idea why, to be honest, but, you know, I thought I'd share. Yeah, I, so Allegra is the sort of, uh, the lizard, really. Um, Talk about the lizard brain and sort of the alarm bells that go off when you're at the height of anxiety. And Allegra is like really dramatic. Like, you've left the oven on when I know I haven't. She's just like, that person hates you. That person probably doesn't hate me. It's just, I know when she's speaking, so I'm just, it's ridiculous. But I think what's so amazing now is having the awareness of that. Because I used to think that was me. I used to think that it was true. I used to think my thoughts were all facts. Now I can really tell when I'm being very dramatic. And normally it's because I haven't gone for the walk. I haven't got a good night's sleep. I haven't been doing my, you know, gentle yoga on YouTube. She pipes up when I'm actually not okay. So I find it very useful. And I've been able to sort of make it into a positive I suppose what I used to call really really bad anxiety which it still is for me it's also a signpost and you can separate yourself from the thought so it doesn't run you yeah and it's because I I think really who I am really at the core level is actually quite a relaxed person actually and I think I'm quite intuitive I've I'm quite I think I can sort of see the bigger picture a lot of the time 
which has served me quite well in my career and everything. But when Allegra is piping up, I know something's off course because that's not really what I'm like. I'm I'm actually much more chilled than that. So it's it's fascinating. And I, I've done a I've done a coaching course, so I've learned a lot of these tools from amazing experts, and it's changed my life really. It reminds me of I mean, if anyone has ever had a really terrible sort of rather unstable boss, and there's that sense you're sitting there, which is like. Allegra has entered the building. Allegra has entered the building. Allegra's coming up. I can hear Allegra's heels in the corridor. Oh my God, here comes Allegra. And and, and I was thinking about, because, you know, because I, I love the idea of giving it a name. What I had started to do was to sort of say, if these thoughts come in, was to be quite fierce and just say, this is inappropriate. But, but the name is much better. And I thought I would like quite like to call her Daphne. But then a really good friend of mine who I love has just called her very sweet baby Daphne, which is a completely genius <laughs> name. So I've decided that my Allegra is going to be called Delphine. Oh, I mean, Delphine is Oh, I like that. That's, that's sassy. <laughs> but also, like, Parisian kind of, you know... Terrifying. Monster. But also yeah. not happy. No, definitely. Chic, but, you know, miserable. <laughs> We've got to, got to think about what mine's going to be called now. It's very interesting because when I had my kind of nervous breakdown slash burnout slash, you know, in... Um, spiritual when I was awakening. 30, spiritual awakening, exactly. Greatest moment of my life. But um, when I was 39, you know, I was hearing voices. Sorry, I'm not suggesting you're hearing voices, but I, I felt that I was hearing voices. But I, I now understand that it was exactly my lizard brain activating in a kind of anxious... And then just telling me that I was just terrible, like some kind of, you know, field marshal saying, you know, get up, go and do your tough mudder because you, know, you must crawl through this barbed wire in order to kind of be worthy um, and pass the test, whatever the test was. But I think that, you know, what was terrifying, what was so useful in therapy is this idea that you do begin to believe that it is because it comes from your brain, that it is you, that it is you and therefore is it's right and that you have to trust it. But of course you don't. And that seems, it's so counter, it takes quite a long time to unravel that idea. But actually, it's so useful when you do, because you can actually say, not Delphine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm. But you know, but, that, but to your point, this is something that I think runs us, is that you're trying to pass a test and no one has told you what the test is. Yeah. How are you meant to win at that? I know. And it's so fascinating, really, when you think about the culture we're in. And also, Emily, I'm sorry that you went through that, by the way, because, oh. I, that, you know, I do think that it's important we share. But also the fact that you have now got that awareness is like that's actually really inspiring and, and comforting oh. to know because oh. it can be really bad when you're in it. So thanks, Emma. It was really, truly awful. But it was so frightening because I just like you. I was a really competent person. And again, competent makes it sound, but I could really do stuff. You know, I was successful and I had worked really hard and I, I you know, school, university, et cetera. And then when you realise that you, you actually can't do it, it's very scary. And I'm sure you were in that place when you actually sort of woke up or whatever it was, you had the moment where you were like, I actually can't do this. I can't put yeah. one foot in front of the other. And you feel so let down by yourself and you feel, you know, again, you, for me, it was all about letting down other people as well because I, then I wasn't able to do my job and I wasn't able to be a parent and then I wasn't able to be a, you know, a partner or a friend or whatever. It is incredibly scary. It's incredibly it's, scary. It is. And I really, really resonate with all of that because I think when you're someone that's so used to getting everything done, like you say, and then you can't, it's terrifying and you feel let down by yourself. But also I've kind of reframed it as... I had been so harsh to myself for so long that this was actually my body going, stop, this is, 
insane. Like you, you can take a rest. And what what I did, uh, which what I found really interesting, because I didn't really do it consciously, was I sort of just reverted back to being really childlike. I would watch Disney films. I looked after my friend's dog. I wrapped myself up in blankets. I, you know, I wore really soft clothes. I read books under the covers. Actually, then that's when I started healing. Yeah. And I think really when we think about, oh, are we going to pass the test? What's going on with the test? That's very common because we're looking for outside approval. But really, honestly, if I don't want to burn out again, I have to listen to myself. And I've become a lot more confident in myself actually since the burnout. Because if someone's draining me, I'm like, no, sorry, don't. I don't have time for that today. Which sounds mm. harsh, but I have to protect myself as well. Yeah, I mean, putting those boundaries, that was one of the hardest things that I learnt how to do. And I'm still pretty shit at it. Let's be fair. There, there you go. There's my, my, my cheerful... Well, the thing, the thing that baffled Emily, and I think it's still hard. baffles you, is that she was told, one of the first things she was told in therapy was this, you know, it's, it's a cliche, we all know it. Put your own oxygen mask on first or you're no good to anybody. And you simply couldn't get your head around putting no. your... Can you now? No, not really. Oh, the, the closest I've come to, and I've said this before on the podcast, is you want the pilot... Who's drive? Who's driving? Flying the plane, not driving. You want the sailing the plane? Who's <laughs> sailing the plane? Exactly. To know that it's not sailing for a start, but also to be hydrated and rested, and you know haven't had rows with so and has looked after themselves or whatever. So I understand that the idea of giving myself oxygen, giving myself life before anybody else that I look after, I find incredibly But it's not hard. about putting yourself first. It's about equipping yourself to be able to look after those people. Yes, I know. But I it's mean, we've been talking about this for 10 years, yes. Emma. But, you this is, know. This is That's a, so interesting. It's just yeah. not a I metaphor mean, that works It goes me. deep. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, it goes, yeah, as a sort of caretaker vibe. codependent psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. See how nice we are to each other? <laughs> this idea of success. It, 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 wouldn't it be interesting if we just banned the word? It'd be such a lovely space. It wouldn't be an empty space. We wouldn't miss it. And I think you say in your book, Philip Larkin called success fulfillment's desolate attic. Yeah, and Cheryl Strayed, that quote where she says, don't let your dreams ruin your life. This mm. idea that when you get there, really all that's waiting for you is sort of a dark room because what next, what next? So yeah, it's it's a really strange thing that's sold to us. It's the carrot on the stick thing, isn't it? Yeah, I love uh, don't let your dreams ruin your life because it, it's true it's back to what we have been saying about passion and purpose telling people that that is the only way forward you know that that's what they need to find to unlock the key it is you're completely right it is like a test it's like a sort of it's almost like the crystal maze isn't it it's like work all this stuff out get the correct formula and then you will be fine you will be able to unlock the door get the crystal or whatever but of course it isn't true and life also you know has very unexpected twists and turns that means that look at covid i mean presumably you know we were all there we were all grounded we were all suddenly in our rooms and a lot of us were unable to do what we did and that's I think people are still trying to come to terms with that actually funny enough yeah what are you oh, going God, to be yeah. left with yeah like stripped from all of that sort of you know that ability to perform exactly that success theater that we talked about and people are I guess still trying to wrestle with do they want their old lives back what does that look like what does the new, you know, all of this stuff. And I don't think we're there yet, do you, collectively or sort of individually? No. I think we're going through a massive, massive change that we can't even comprehend. And we're wading through it, so it's tricky at the moment. And also the rates of anxiety and depression rose by 20% just during 2020 and 2021. So we know the pandemic 
really affected us and the great resignation everyone sort of wanting to change up their work we're all doing a lot of soul searching at the moment and I find it actually quite optimistic but it's really scary at the same time how are you finding putting your book out there about success and sort of fighting the balance of wanting it to be a success but at the same at the same time wanting to be able to go it's here just just enjoy it I'm gonna be don't mind me I'm going for a walk (laughs) exactly I'm just gonna feel the sun on my face now I know it's so funny because the culture is so strong you know people want you to or you feel like you're a failure if you don't do X, Y, and Z, and if it's not a bestseller or what or whatever. You know that's so deeply ingrained. But you know that Einstein quote that's like you you'll go insane if you do the same things over and over again and expect different results. I find actually that I'm really lucky in a way that this is my sixth book. I've done this six times, and every single time I w- I want it to go a certain way and it doesn't. Every yeah. time I, there's an anticlimax. So I'm really trying with this one to really not go there and be like, you've written it. You obviously have something you really wanted to say. This also was quite an amazing experience writing this book because I don't really remember writing it. It was all very weird. And I just have this thing where I sort of like black out a little bit when I'm writing. And then I don't know where it came from. Like it is quite a spiritual experience. I find writing. I don't really know where it comes from. I write things I don't even know how I knew it. Stuff I haven't even read about. It's really weird. So I just go with the flow with that. And I'm trying to go with the flow with the outcome. And it reminds me of something <laughs> Martha just... Beck said. Because she's got three Harvard PhDs. Because she was like, one isn't enough. So I'll get another one. Oh, actually, two isn't enough. So I'll get another one. You have to learn at some point that you're not going to arrive. Yeah. You have to just keep doing the work. So what should we call your writing group? Exactly. If I was going to say, Allegra like, steps aside when you're writing and, and introduces, I don't know, some some fabulous maybe it's the true emma that just comes down and kind of i'm laughing when you say i'm just going to go with the flow because we always say yeah but what time does the flow start can i park <laughs> and will there be food and will there be loos and should i wear heels no not for the flow it's so funny no nothing good happens in heels really anymore does it absolutely not so in in some ways the writing process is a kind of meditative process for you because what's so what i love about the book is that you have such a you know, and we were saying at the beginning, you have such a lovely light touch. So it feels like it's, and obviously everything is effortful. So it doesn't, I hate that it feels effortless because it makes it sound like it's sort of... Um, but it doesn't feel like a lecture. No, exactly. And so many of these books do, you're like, oh, a- another way I'm meant to behave, think. Another way my perspective, another way in which I'm lacking, another way in which I'm unsuccessful because I'm not doing every exercise that this book is telling me to do. And it's a soothing read, Oh, that's nice to hear. Because I think I was soothing myself probably yeah. while I was writing it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know a lot of this is about you know looking after ourselves as that you know what would you do if you have a little girl who's really don't you say you know watch a Disney movie, have a blanket, and you don't need to worry about that today. Yeah, and we we can do that for others so easily, can't we? And we yeah. could do that for our for for our kids or nieces and nephews. And I'm learning to do it for myself. And I have lots of sort of things in my office that remind me of my younger self because you know essentially we lose that connection with the with the younger person who had all these hopes and dreams Mm. and really I'm just like an adult version of like the younger me who loved to read I've grown up to do stuff a career with books like I, I need to remind myself that that's actually really magical and really amazing and so I have little reminders of like my favorite books when I was a kid and like all these things in my office and and I don't think that's immature. You know, I'm like a fully grown adult and I can like take care of myself. It's just 
I don't want to lose that joy and that magic. And I think society's definition of success, go and put on a suit and go and get, you know, pay rises left, right and centre or whatever, takes us away, I think, from who we really are. And I think we have to remember, you know, that powerful phrase that's been overused, used a lot in recovery, which is, you know, well, basically one day at a time. Yeah. Which doesn't mean if I can just get through today, then I only have to get through tomorrow and then, you know, before I have to get through the next day. It literally means, what do you want right now today what you know what what's what's this look like yeah rather than you know the other thing that people genuinely will ask is what's your five-year plan (laughs) where do you see yourself in five years i mean that's rude and mad as far as i'm concerned (laughs) it's yeah i mean i i kind of like the idea of visualizing how you want to feel in five years time like that's something that i do because I'm like well what do I want my life to look not look like in terms of things I've done but just like how do I want to feel what do I want to be like in five years but I think you're right there is just pointless who knows who knows what will be the world will be like in five years but that's really fascinating I've never heard anyone say how would you like to feel in five years yeah because that normally when people talk about manifest it is about sort of you know life goals in a way, but not about feelings. No, it's I think not. that's it's really about the house profound. or the man or yes, the money or Exactly, the or the kind of book or the yeah. whatever. It's not how do you want to feel in five years? That's very I feel like I've had a bit of a We should ooh. go away and have a think about that. Yeah. Over my toast. Yes. Outside in the sunshine. Yeah. Emma, maybe what, it's Emma, funny what maybe it's funny what you said though about wanting world peace because everything that we want is we want a feeling everything everything whether it's like more money or more success we just we want to feel something and I feel like clearly there's something there where you want to feel more peace and you can get that without winning a Nobel Peace Prize yeah so maybe we start with the feeling rather than the label then we might be onto something oh my god we're onto something oh my god we're gonna have to go and write a book (laughs) exactly (laughs) how do you want to feel in five years by Annabelle and Emily um, and, and Emma, co-creator of, yes, exactly. uh, of this. Is that what they have at the end of the series? Created by. Yes, exactly. Sex and the City, created by. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. It's a really kind of inspiring, yet also relaxing experience. And, um, and we wish you the best of luck with the book, which we can't recommend enough, right, no, It's really great. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Emma. So thanks Thank so, much, so Emma. much, Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This podcast was bravely brought to you by the Gut Supplement Simprove. Get your hands on 50% off the first three months at simproof.com forward slash the midult code midult50. Simproof for all your gut feelings. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Midult. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe.